Good morning. Now, I would never really encourage looking for these kinds of images when I describe, but I'm sure that you've all seen them. Okay? Somewhere on your being on the internet, you've seen the before and after photos, right? The shocking body transformations that people go through. It might be in an ad, it might be in an article, but you've all seen those pictures, and they've been around for a long time, of how someone goes from a flabby gut to those firm abs, right? You've, you've seen those pictures. Whether that took a period of days or months, the shocking transformation that people can go through. Now, it's always interesting in those pictures, I don't know if you've noticed this too, that people seem to learn how to comb their hair, right? I mean, you're like, like in the before picture, they looked as absolutely bad as possible. And in the after picture, they look amazing in every way, right? Often, the only people telling you that that transformation is easy is the people who are selling you something, right? This can be you in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. All you have to do is buy this supplement or join our gym or whatever. But everyone who's gone through that kind of, trans of transformation will tell you that it takes discipline. It takes discipline. It takes hard work. In the book of Philippians, we've seen really some beautiful after pictures. We don't really know a lot of what the Philippian church was like, all their individual stories, but we do see some beautiful transformation that God brought this church through. Really, one of those that we do have a before picture of is the Apostle Paul. We know from the book of Acts what Paul was like before he came to Christ. Paul even describes himself in the book of, of Philippians, of what he was like before he came to Christ. We see this picture of what Paul is like, of the transformation that he went through. We see his joy while in prison, his commitment to serve the saints, his willingness to be poured out for them his passion to see Christ proclaimed, his longing to be with Christ. We see this beautiful picture of the Apostle Paul. It's a commendable picture. It's a picture that we're like, as you read, and honestly, um, and, and, and it's funny, I've talked to, to, to a couple of, uh, of pastors who've never preached through the book of, of Philippians. I'm not totally sure why. I think it's, I don't know, and I've got guesses. One of the things, though, that has shocked me the more I go through this book is how profound it is in the pictures it presents. And one of those pictures, like I'm saying, is the Apostle Paul. We get to see Paul's heart in this book, and it's beautiful. The transformation that he went through, and I encourage you, if you haven't read through Philippians again and again as we've been going through it, start doing so. Get to know Paul. And now, I'm going to talk in a minute why we're talking about how Paul's transformed, but we've also seen what Paul prays for the Philippians to be, to be transformed. We saw in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, his own prayer for them to continue in their, in, their in their transformation. And this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, this is a beautiful picture. This is what he's praying for them. He has this picture in mind of what he wants them to become. We've seen that picture really go through all of uh, chapters 2 and 3. Paul begins with the exhortation in his letter in chapter 1, verse 27, about them living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He talks about them standing firm and striving together for the gospel. But he talks about their humility and their unity, about their same purpose, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He has a beautiful picture for their relationships with one another as a church. Paul doesn't just give this portrayal of himself. He pictures Timothy and talks about how Timothy is concerned for your interest. He says to the Philippians, or about how, how Paphroditus, this beautiful picture of how he nearly died for the work of Christ. And there's no greater picture, although this was not a transformation for our Lord Jesus Christ, but that great picture of Christ humility and his submission to the Father in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. What we've seen in this book is all these beautiful pictures of the transformation that God can bring his people through. The transformation that he begins when they are first saved and he continues. And really what we see in the beginning of chapter 4 is more of that picture. He describes them as, as and, and, and he's, he's exhorting them here, as living in harmony in the Lord. That's beautiful. He calls them to be rejoicing in the Lord. He describes their gentleness, their, their, their graciousness and their generosity in dealing with one another. Lives free from anxiety because they're dependently bringing their requests before the Lord. Again, this is a picture of beautiful transformation. Maybe as you read through the book, or even as I bring some of these before you, the question is, well, how, do, how does that happen to us? How does that happen to us? And that is why Paul goes where he goes next in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And I'm going to read for you Philippians 4, 1, 1 through 9 in, in just a minute. Really, Paul is beginning the end of the conclusion of, the, of this letter. And he tells what your part in spiritual transformation is. It's disciplined thinking and disciplined doing. You have a part to play in spiritual transformation. It's disciplined thinking and disciplined doing. Let's read, uh, I'm going to read Philippians 4, 1 through 9 now. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my Beloved, I, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for preserving your word uh, for us. We thank you, Father, that we see... um, the transformation that we can go through as you save us. Lord, that as we put our faith in your Son, as we are given new life by you, as we are indwelt by your Spirit, that you are faithful to transform and to change us. And uh, yet, Lord, we do see that we have a responsibility here in these verses. I do pray that you would give us wisdom as we look this morning at our responsibility on what we think about. I do ask, Lord, that there would be clarity. I pray, Father, that there would be conviction, that there would be hope, that we would see together the beauty of your plan so that we will become more and more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to explore the first of two areas of discipline so that we will enjoy the blessing of God's presence. We're going to look at the first of two areas of discipline so that we will enjoy the blessing of God's presence. This week, we're going to look at discipline thinking. Next week, we'll look at discipline doing. Now, I say that we will enjoy the blessing of God's presence because that's exactly the promise that Paul gives at the end of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Paul began in verse 8 here with the word Finally, which interestingly enough, if you remember, he began 3-1 with 2. And it doesn't mean finally and now I'm done. Uh, It means now and for the rest. Or I'm going to finish up what is left. Paul concludes his exhortation to the letter. It's a section that began in 1 verse 27 where he talks to them about how to live worthy of the gospel. But more, more exactly... He's finishing here uh, the end of the letter in verses 1 through 9. We see that verses 8 and 9 is connected to what came before at the end of verse 7. Paul describes how the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He ends in verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. So these two disciplines here of thinking or doing are sandwiched by talking about the peace that that God brings. I know that hearing about discipline can be challenging. Okay? It may not be what you came here for this morning. Maybe you came to be encouraged. And hearing about the word discipline may be, in your experience, a discouraging word. Maybe you struggled with discipline your whole life. You see yourself as an undisciplined person. Now, for some of you, hearing about discipline is kind of exciting. Like, great, I'm going to do it. And when you hear of something to do, you leave thrilled. But for some of you, uh, thinking about discipline may be discouraging. And you may even be expecting, well, this is another area I'm going to fall short in. I want to encourage you in two ways. And the first is what um, we saw in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Paul wanted them to continue working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And he encourages them, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The desire to be pleasing to God and the ability to do so comes from God himself living inside you. So if you're someone who can look and say, oh, I really struggle with discipline. You, if you are a new creature in Christ, you have God living inside you, energizing you to be disciplined. We also have a forgiving and gracious God who will forgive us again and again and again when we are not disciplined. So the first way I wanted to encourage you is that God is in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. But there's a second way, and I've already looked at that, but it's at the end of verse 9. Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. The person who disciplines their thoughts and actions will enjoy the blessing of God's presence. Now, if you are the recipient of God's grace, if you have responded with repentance and faith to the finished work of Christ, if you've been sealed with God's spirit, you have an unending relationship with the God of peace. We're not talking about how someone becomes right with God. When God is is gracious and you respond just as our brother Francis read this morning from Romans 10, with faith to the gospel, God makes you his creature. He becomes your God and you become his people. And that relationship is never going to end. It's guaranteed by the death and resurrection of Christ. He becomes an interceding high priest. But your enjoyment of God and your enjoyment of his blessing upon your life is dependent upon your disciplined thinking and doing. Your enjoyment of God's blessing in your life is dependent upon your thinking, your disciplined thinking and doing. There's a logical connection here, and we see that in verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And we're going to see that this is the parallel next week. We learned a dwelling on these things. Now he says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We're going to explore this verse more next week, but I wanted to encourage you with that now, that there is a promise here. The God of peace will be with you in a special way, bringing blessings so that you enjoy your relationship with him. He's not just talking about, you know, being present, as we know that God is is everywhere, but present to bless your relationship with him. But there is a if here. It is if we are disciplined in our thinking and disciplined in our doing, then we enjoy God's, God's peace. So as we look at that, By God's grace, I hope that you find that strong motive for you this morning to be disciplined in your thinking. Do you want to be enjoying your relationship with your creator? Do you want to know the God of peace is with me? Then you need to be disciplined in your thinking. We're going to look first at the content of disciplined thinking. What we should be thinking about. And part of me wanted to explain what thinking means first. But I'm going to go along with the way that Paul did it. Okay? So we're going to talk about the content of disciplined thinking in, in verse 8. Paul begins with six parallel phrases. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. And our English versions reflect the Greek well here. That word, that word whatever is repeated six times. Paul is casting a wide net for the kinds of things we should be thinking about. Now, Paul doesn't say that these are the only kinds of things we should be thinking about. You may need to think about mowing your lawn. Okay? 
You just have to do that. There's all kinds of things that we need to think about. We may need to think about other things, but this is what we are commanded to be thinking about. Now, you could think about these, these six phrases kind of like a Venn diagram, okay? There's a circle of what's true and a circle of what's honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute. And what they, what they all have in common is what we should be thinking about. And I got that from my wife, and I think that that's a neat way of thinking about it. The more I thought about it, though, the more I think that this is more like a cube. Okay? A cube has six sides. And as you look at this cube, one side is labeled what's true. And you spin it, and another is what's, what's honorable. And I keep getting my different versions uh, and order messed up. You'd be amazing how many times you'd be amazed how many times I had to go back to this verse and say, "What's the order again? Uh, what's right, pure, lovely, and of good repute?" So you can imagine that the six sides of the same cube. It's a different label on each of those six sides, but the content is all the same. It is identi- identical in content. Let's begin by, by looking at those phrases. Whatever is true, our lexicon t- tells us that that's what, whatever is in accordance with facts, what's, what, what's real and genuine. One commentator describes it as what's morally upright or dependable, what's real rather than apparent. So we could think about this as what's trustworthy, what's based on fact, what's dependable. Now, often when we desire to uh, well, the best place to begin thinking about what's true is, God, is God's word. Psalm 99 says, The fear of the Lord is clean and during forever, but then the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. God's judgments, God's law, his commands are true. And Psalm 119 verse 42 says, Your law is truth. We know that our God is a God of truth. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that God says is 100% true. We talked about his truthfulness in the second hour a few weeks back. When we desire to think on what's true, we should begin with God's word. Now, I know that there is danger in all kinds of thinking about what's not true, you know, and speculating about someone's motives, repeating half-truths, listening to rumors. And it's never bad to ask, hey, am I, am I thinking about what's true? But I don't think that that's the primary application of this verse. Maybe that's the way that we apply it often. And, and I don't know that that's a, a bad application of it. Now, it's important that, the truth, that because something is true doesn't mean we are free to think about it. There are many true things that fall short of the other categories that we have here. And we're going to talk more about that, how often we might uh, really justify all kinds of, of things that we read or entertainment choices in that, well, well, it's got truth there. But remember, Paul's describing that this is one body of things that we should be thinking about. It is what's true, but that's not all that it is. It is also it is honorable as well. It's worthy of respect. 
honor, to be noble. It's something that's, that's, that's dignified. It has the idea of something that is serious. This same word is used of both deacons and their wives being dignified. That older men in Titus 2, 2 should be dignified. It's something that is above, above reproach or worthy. The opposite of this honorable is vulgar. One commentator describes this word honorable as all that merits serious thought and encourages serious mindedness. Okay? So, what, so what leads to your serious thinking and serious mindedness? The kind of weighty thoughts that lead to our being dignified. To our being sober-minded, like some of these examples, like the fact that a soul is eternal, right? Even saying that, doesn't, isn't there a weightiness to it? That is a, 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 a honorable thought. The return of Christ to reward his people, to judge his enemies, that is a weighty thought. Being made in God's image. It's a weighty thought. Now, those, those aren't all sad thoughts. There's, there's glorious truths there. But that's what the idea of honorable is. The things that we think about that lead to us being weighty in life, serious and, and sober-minded. John, John MacArthur says, We must not think on what's trivial, temporal, mundane, common, and earthly but rather what is heavenly. And I'm not saying that we can't sometimes think about things that seem awfully mundane, like mowing the lawn, but that we need to be thinking in this body of things, of truths, what's true, what's honorable, and he goes, and uh, Paul describes whatever is right, or your, your, your English Standard Version has just. This is what needs to be done in the requirement of justice. What's upright, what's just, what's fair, What's right? It's submitting to God's righteousness in all that he does. When you think about God, to humbly submit to his righteousness. To recognize when others are doing what is righteous. To plan for our own righteous actions. as thinking about what is right. William Hendrickson said, in all his planning, let the Christian ask himself, is this in harmony with God's law? And that's a great way to think about this righteousness. Is, 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 is what I'm thinking about, is it in harmony with God's law? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Next is whatever's pure. Now, that word has the idea of morally pure, innocent, chaste. It can refer to, to sexual purity, but it's not its, its only application in in scripture it's being undefiled in any moral area without the filth of sin without being contaminated often i don't know if you've heard this justification as we read or watch things but some people have have a real desire to to to, to get a true view of of the world. They, they want to know things as they really are. and So they'll watch this movie because it captures what's true. But we can't leave out what's also what is pure. Right? Our, our, in our desire for what's true, we can't sacrifice what is pure. We can't be 
defiled in our pursuit of true. And sometimes I think what we just mean is, is gritty. And that's also true of the word, what, what, what's next, whatever is lovely. This word lovely is what causes delight, what's agreeable. One commentator says what's love-inspiring. The things which commend themselves because of their attractiveness, because their agreeableness. Now, our sin nature can find many things lovely, many things attractive, many things pleasing that we know are against God's law. This here, this, this, this is lovely. is talking about what God finds beautiful, what God approves of, what is an aroma to God. Now, creation can often be lovely. There, there, there's beautiful flowers to smell and, 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 and sights to see and music to hear. And we can thank God for those, but we don't want to separate that from these other words. You know, that, 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 that this is really going to be talking about what is morally lovely. What God approves of and what's of good, of good repute. We see that that is the sixth one. Also in the ESV, it's tra- translated as commendable. What's praiseworthy? What could be well spoken of? All of God's attributes, his actions, his commands are commendable. All of them could be well spoken of. To speak anything about them is to praise them. And whether it's his deliverance of Israel from Egypt or his sending them into exile, whether it's punishment of sin with hell or his rescue through Jesus Christ, all of God's actions are of good repute, are commendable. All of our obedience to his commands is of good repute. It is commendable. Now, Paul encapsulates these six phrases with two other phrases. He summarizes them. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise. Now, that if doesn't express doubt. He's not saying, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And if there is anything out there. No, he's, it's, 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 it's more of a sense And he summarizes these six phrases in two phrases. If there is any excellence, that's what's worthy of praise. Now, now, maybe taken out of context by itself, we could think about what's excellent as as a really excellent, I don't know, pizza or an an excellent vantage point. You know, oh, it's excellent, you know, so so this is good. No, he's talking about what's morally excellent, what's, what's virtuous. And he also describes it as worthy of praise. Now, this is not what those outside of the church looking in would approve of, although they may. Those without God often call good evil and call evil good. It's, it's what we approve of because it is what God approves of. Now, I think it's really valuable that Paul summarizes these first six characteristics of, uh, of what we think about. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute. In these two phrases, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, it's valuable that he summarizes them because it helps us know that we shouldn't be thinking about these phrases in, in isolation from one another. Maybe some of you have struggled in your past thinking 
Your mind maybe was, was, was going again and again over an injustice to you. Or maybe you've been obsessing about the state of the world. And you're like, well, what's wrong with this thinking? It's true. Well, it's not enough that it is, it, it, it's true in itself. We also have to ask, well, is this a morally excellent thing to be thinking about? Is this, is this, is this a praiseworthy thing to be thinking about? And the same could be true of what is, is lovely. There's many things that can bring pleasure. But are they morally excellent? Are they worthy of praise? With these two phrases, Paul is, is limiting for us. He's getting to, to the heart of what we are to be thinking about. Now, again, this is not the only thing that we should be thinking about. Uh, now, maybe mowing the lawn, we could somehow realize it's, it's morally excellent and, and praiseworthy. And ultimately, it, it is because we're doing the things that we need to do. I'm saying we can think about many things. But we are commanded to spend time to be disciplined, to intentionally think about what's morally excellent and about what's praiseworthy. And what are those things? I think we could spend a lot of time talking about what it's not. And we could argue, well, is this thing a morally excellent or a praiseworthy thing? But what leaves us not with no question is God's character. God's character is all of these things. God's character is true and honorable and righteous and pure and lovely and of good repute. He is worthy of praise. He is morally excellent. His son, Jesus Christ, all those characteristics are true. We should be thinking about who God is and who his son is. We should be thinking about every action that God has done in scripture reflects these characteristics. We can't meditate on anything that God has done without thinking on what is morally excellent and praiseworthy. All of God's commands, any command, any instruction he's given is morally excellent. It is praiseworthy. Just imagine who you are going to be in heaven. Every thought that you have is going to be morally excellent and praiseworthy. There will be no the, 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 there will be no fringe room on the outskirts of our minds where we think about anything that's not morally excellent, about anything that's not true or not right or not pure. Like what a beautiful picture of what we will one day be. And that's what Paul is, is, is promising, that as we discipline our thinking, we will enjoy that relationship with the God of peace now in this life. And of course, we have to add here the gospel. Right, the good news of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. Morally excellent and praiseworthy. Could never get tired of thinking. We should never get tired of thinking about that. So many facets to how God has revealed himself as true and honorable and righteous and pure and lovely. So that's the content of our thinking. What is, now let's look at the, at the command for disciplined thinking. That's the content of our disciplined thinking. Now let's look at the command for disciplined thinking. Paul says to dwell on these things, or ESV has think, or maybe you could translate it as consider. The Greek word, la, 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 jizomai here, excuse me. It has a range of meanings that go from to give careful thought to a matter, okay, to think carefully about something, 
to take something into account or to evaluate or consider based on having taken into account, okay? So it's thinking with inspection and with evaluation and with action. It's an especially interesting word that Paul uses it here because the book of Philippians is a book about mindset. And Paul has used consistently the same word for mindset, for, 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 for no, excuse me, 10 times. We saw in, in Philippians 2.5, have this attitude or mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He describes in Philippians 3.19, those who set their minds on, on earthly things. In Philippians 4, about thinking the same thing. He used the same word consistently, but now he switches to a different word for thinking. And we have to wonder why. And this word thinking is one that has action implied in it. So it's the word in Romans 6, 6, 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's considering ourselves. It's accounting ourselves. It's evaluating ourselves. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, as love does not take into account a wrong suffered. You're going to act upon that. You're not going to take something into account. And that's the same word here. In the Septuagint, the, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, this word is used many times for what the evil do. When they plot and plan and scheme and devise. Okay? And you put all those together, and what you have is a word that has the intention of doing something in it, of accomplishing something. One commentator says it well. It's to ponder, to give proper weight and value to something, to allow the resultant appraisal to influence the way life is, is to be lived. I, I, I'm going to read that again. To ponder, you know, to think about it, to give proper weight and value to something, and to allow the resultant appraisal to influence the way life is to be lived. This word, thinking, has, imp has implications built in. Now, we may often want to use this verse, Philippians 4.8, uh, to explain why we watch movies, why we read literature, why we're engaged in the arts because it's, it's lovely or I want to know what's true. Maybe why we value a liberal arts education. But it's important, this word thinking is not just thinking. It's thinking, it's finding value in something, but also applying. It's about making a conclusion and doing. About planning and plotting. It's about devising, what am I going to do with this? So think about that uh, when we think about whatsoever things are true, what am I going to do with what is true? What a, how am I going to apply what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's of good repute, what's excellent, what's worthy of praise? This kind of thinking is an intellectual activity that has both an engine and a steering wheel. It goes somewhere. It's not just contemplative. And, 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 and Ephesians 5.10 says, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That is what this kind of thinking is doing. Trying to learn what's, it's, it's not just thinking, oh, I'm going to have a lovely thought. 
I was trying to discern what is pleasing to, 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 to the Lord. Ephesians 5.17 describes it as, as understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's the same activity that's going on. And, and I read it this morning even as Paul prays that they would approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. This kind of thinking is seeking to approve what is excellent, trying to make the best possible choices, to love the right things. The object of our thinking, Paul says, is these things. The content is described. He tells us what we have to think about. Often, I think we feel driven around by our thoughts, kind of like our thoughts are our taxi driver, right? We just kind of like just get taken, and one thought leads in, into another. And I think that some of that is going to be natural. But we need to make sure that we are also thinking on these things for the point of applying. This is a daily activity. So what should we be thinking about? What satisfies the characteristics we saw in the beginning of this verse? And there's no easier place to begin than thinking about God himself. The one who is true, who is honorable, and, and I love thinking about God being, being honorable, who's righteous, who's pure, who's lovely, who's of good repute, who you can say nothing bad about. Everything that God has revealed about himself in his word, in his commands, in his gospel. God's word ought to be the consistent diet of our minds. His, his word is the gardens that our minds stroll in, and the roads that our minds drive on, and the pool in which our minds swim in. It is where our minds are supposed to exist. It is in his word and in his character and the good news of his son that we can be reconciled to him through faith. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't find anything that's morally excellent or praiseworthy in the actions or in the art of those who are God's enemies. Right? Because you can read a book that has something righteous in it. Well, how do we know it's righteous? How do we know it's true? How do we know it's lovely? It's morally excellent. Because of what God's word has taught us. We would never know that without God's word. In God's common grace, the image of God remains in fallen men. They, 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 they are capable of a distorted reflection of his truth, of his nobility, of his purity. And that may be the reason that often many of us have for wanting to, to, to read a book or to watch a movie. But often, you will find yourself wading through many lies and much vulgarity, unrighteousness, impurity, what's revolting, and should never be spoken of. If you try to find truth and purity and righteousness and nobility in what fallen man produces. How hard should you mine for a diamond in the dark when the vault of God's word is overflowing with diamonds? Now, I was an, 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 an English major, and some of those books had beautiful things in them, had true things in them. But I also waded through a whole lot of wickedness. That's true of the movies that we see. Remember that the word think 
this dwell, this ponder. It has the idea of coming to a conclusion, a, a reckoning, of making a, 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 a implication. That's our purpose of this thinking. It's thinking with a plan to doing. That's why we need to be meditating on God's word and meditating on his commands. The more I think about this verse, the more excited I am to think about the potential we have to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about God's attributes and how he wants us to apply those. As we think about God's commands as this perfect reflection of God's nature, we can be conformed to the image of God that as we make the diet of our thinking, as, 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 as we make our, 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 our calorie intake, our thought intake, God's word, rather than the media, which I'm not saying we don't have any of that, but, but, but the majority coming from God's word, what potential there is for us to be transformed into the image of his son. Now, wrong thinking did not begin with the media, right? But the potential for undisciplined thinking is, is, is massive. There's so much that is new consistently, and it's so stimulating that the, the content in ways is the greatest it's ever been. In ways, right? It's, it's exciting. It's, it's and, and you use the word stimulating. There's so much of it. It's so flashy. Sports season quickly bleeds from one to another, right? The NBA championship ends. Six days later, the World Cup starts, right? It's an unending feast. There's millions, billions of Instagram and Facebook users that post intriguing things and creative things and controversial things and shocking things and breathtaking images and thought-provoking statements, right? It is an unending supply for our minds. There's an infinite number of resources to do an infinite number of things well. Reviews of where to eat and of what to buy and of which laptop to get, and all kinds of things. There's a constant supply on Netflix and Amazon of new shows and new songs and new books and new blogs. There's a staggering amount of material to think about. And sometimes, I don't know if you feel like this, you're just guzzling, right? You're just kind of like, like you can't even swallow it fast enough. So as I think about Philippians 4, I have two, two and really we could list many, but two obvious concerns about our media intake. Do these verses immediately negate the items that you're consuming? Is what you're watching shameful? Is it vulgar? Is it impure? Is it unrighteous? I mean, is it automatically nixed out by this verse? There are people that you should unfollow because it's, it's constant. Because of your concern for the sanctification of others, are you unwilling to say that you watch a TV show or that you watched a movie or you loved a movie because you're concerned that someone else might cause someone else to sin? Is, is that commendable then? Is it of good repute? Now, I'm not condemning. These, these questions cut me too, right? So that's one. But the second one is, is what you're consuming consistently push out what you would be meditating on if the cable was out 
if you had no car stereo, if you had no data plan, right? Many of you have gone on mission trips or to a retreat where there's no data. I, I've often heard it was so refreshing, right? It was, it was, it, it was great. I'm going to keep doing that. And then after a couple weeks, you're, 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 you're back there. The problem is not with the delivery method, but it, the problem is with our own bandwidth. There's only so much we can think about, and there's an unending supply of things to be thinking about. So are you too busy thinking about things that aren't sinful, even things that you feel fine telling people? You watch and listen to and read. But are, are you too busy to think about what you are commanded to think about? My desire is that we obey what God requires so that we'll enjoy what he promises. He promises that God of peace will be with you. That's a great promise. The presence of his blessing. And that's going to come from disciplined thinking. Don't spend your time rummaging through the garbage for something good to eat. Go to the garden of God's word. To the goodness of God's gospel. To the feast that the Father has provided for us. To the soul-satisfying nutrients of his word. It's there you will always find every time what's true and honorable and righteous and pure and lovely and of good repute. And, and, and what a great exercise if you don't know how to meditate on God's word. To take a command. To, 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 to take something that Jesus has said and done. And what, what, what's good here? What's right? What's pure? What's commendable? What food for meditation there is? Many of us are surrounded by voices all day. What voice do you start with? And I'm not knocking your alarm if it goes straight to radio, but, but, but what are the predominant voices in the beginning of your day? Is it top 40? Is it Yahoo? You know, what's the homepage of your day? Is it, is it Instagram? Is the rooster waking up your soul for another day? Is it a true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute voice? Is that, what's, is, is that what you see first thing in the morning? Is that what you're listening to? Or are you being barrotted by the questionable, the, 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 the kind of sketch as soon as you get in the car and turn on the radio? Our, our thought lives have to be different from our other Orange County neighbors. And, and what is going to fuel that thinking, that, 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 that noble thinking, that pure thinking, that righteous thinking, is going to be God's word. I mean, just imagine if you took a command every morning and, and said, I'm just going to be thinking about how to apply this all day long. Now, maybe you already do that. I think, I don't do that enough. I mean, I'm blessed because I get to prepare for Sunday morning. That forces me to do it. I love doing it, but it forces me to do it. It's my diet. So it's so important for you to be redeeming your, your, your car rides and your lunch breaks and your drives home and those minutes before bed. 
if you're like me, you don't have to read Philippians many times to see this dramatic picture of the Apostle Paul. And maybe you're like me, and you want your heartbeat to be different. You, you, you look at this man, and he's spiritually fit. Here he's on prison, waiting potential, a death sentence, and the joy and the concern for the, pro, for, for, for the proclamation of Christ. I, I, I mean, spiritually, he was in shape. We see his love for the, for the church and his striving for the things, you know, striving to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. We see his faith in Christ. Well, how did he get this way? How did he become someone that, that, that were like, I wish my heart beat more like his? It was disciplined thinking. It's what he chose to meditate on for the purpose of applying. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. And there is no getting around that there is a command here for us to follow. The word doesn't say that this is the only thing we are to think of. But it does say what we need to consistently think of. Father, I confess and really have been and need more confessing. It's so easy uh, to coast in so many of our thinkings. To, to, to read and to walk away. To not think with a view to applying. It's so refreshing to think about how we should be applying your, your holiness and your justice and your love and your mercy. Everything we've been learning about during second hour. Even this morning we're going to be learning about love and jealousy. How, how should we apply those things? How should we be jealous for your name and jealous for your glory? Father, to take, to take the commands of Scripture, to take the characteristics of the saints. Lord, this, this is what we've been wanting to do as we talk about being, being harmonious in the Lord, agreeing in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, being anxious for nothing. And now Paul tells us how, but it, uh, it does require obedience. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful to obey. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to be examining uh, the amount of media which we intake, and if your word is getting squeezed out, help us, Father, to be examining the, uh, um, the kind of media that we are enjoying, Lord, if we shouldn't be. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have the passion to be as much like Christ as possible, to be as holy as possible, to not just be kind of passively waiting for Christ to return. To, 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 to not even um, not j just be working on one scenario, Lord, but to embrace this, this whole picture and to love the beauty of your commands and the beauty of your character and the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of your grace. And Lord, I pray that, that that would be saturating our thinking, saturating our desire to apply. Lord, we thank you for the sweet promise, Lord, that, that as we are faithful to do this, we enjoy your presence. The God of peace will be with you. I thank you that you are a God of peace, a God who brings peace. Lord, we want to enjoy you as much as possible. 
So help our thinking uh, to be in accordance with this command. In Jesus' name, amen.